do, uh, do remain seated. The uh, readings is from um, the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, and it's verses 1 to 3, and then a little skip on to verses 6 to 12. I'm reading from the World English Bible Translation. Now, faith is assurance of things hoped for, proof of things not seen. For by this the elders obtained testimony. By faith we understand that the universe has been framed by the word of God, so that what is seen has not been made out of things that are visible. Without faith it is impossible to be well-pleasing to him. For he who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned about things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared a ship for the saving of his house, through which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed to go out to the place which he was to receive for an inheritance. He went out, not knowing where he went. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a land not his own, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for the city which has the foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received power to conceive, and she bore a child when she was past age, since she counted him faithful who had promised. Therefore, as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as immeasurable as the sand which is by the seashore, were fathered by one man, and him as good as dead. Mark Twain once quipped that faith is believing what you know ain't so. The New Atheist movement has conned many people into assuming that this portrait of faith as automatically irrational is a sobering fact about religion. The late Christopher Hitchens described religion as a surrender of reason in favour of faith. Never mind that according to Jesus, the greatest commandment requires us to love God with our minds. Mark 12.30 Richard Dawkins says that faith is blind trust in the absence of evidence, even in the teeth of evidence. Well, he is mistaken on at least three counts. First, trust faith, needn't be blind. Second, an absence of evidence doesn't always make trust irrational. 
After all, it's impossible to give evidence for everything we trust. That way lies an infinite regress that we cannot satisfy. And third, trusting in the teeth of some evidence can be the right thing to do. Especially if one has better evidence in favour of trust than against it. As John Lennox complains, the new atheists are characterised by the blind faith that all faith is blind faith. It is the new atheist concept of faith that is a delusion in precisely the sense that they assign to that term, a persistent false belief held in the face of strong contradictory evidence. Against all the evidence, do not they even bother to consult dictionaries, they irrationally reduce all faith to blind faith and then subject it to ridicule. The Greek term translated as faith in the New Testament is pistis. In Greek mythology, pistis was the spirit of trust, honesty, good faith, who escapes from Pandora's box, abandoning mankind. Her Roman name was Fide, from which we get the word faith. Now, as a Greek word, pistis has a wide range of meanings, including belief, persuasion, credence, conviction, assurance, honesty, integrity, commitment, and trust. The English word faith reflects this diversity. It can mean uh, allegiance, loyalty, fidelity, belief in the doctrines of a religion, belief in something for which there's no proof, and trust. Now note that only one of these meanings even approaches faith as the new atheists portray it. New atheist Sam Harris criticizes our opening verse from Hebrews 11.1. It says it defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Read in the right way, this passage seems to render faith entirely self-justifying, i.e. completely unjustified. According to Harris, faith is to reason evidence and knowledge as oil is to water. However, Harris doesn't read this anti-intellectual understanding of faith out of Hebrews as he claims. He is reading his prejudices into the text. Consider the immediate context of Hebrews 11.1 in the preceding passage. This is Hebrews 10.32-36. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison 
and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And then we go into our passage. Hebrews 11.1 is saying that having faith means trusting God to deliver on his promise, the promise of heaven, mentioned in Hebrews 10.36. Hebrews 11.1 does not say that having faith means trusting God in the absence of any reason to trust him. Note that in Hebrews 10.34, we read of those to whom the letter was addressed, that they knew they had better and lasting possessions in heaven. So Hebrews hardly represents faith as antithetical to knowledge. Indeed, it seems our author expects faith to be connected to belief and knowledge and reason and evidence. Although that's not what faith per se is about. Consider the Greek underlying Hebrews 11.1 as Harris quotes it. Now, faith, pistis, is the assurance, hypostasis, of things hoped for. The conviction, elekos, of things not seen. We've already noted the roots of pistis in the Pandora box myth, as well as the wide range of meanings that term can have. The Greek word hypostasis, translated assurance, appears in ancient business documents. It conveys the idea of a covenant as an exchange of legal assurances guaranteeing the future transfer of possessions described in the contract. You give me that, I'll give you this. In other words, the term needn't be taken as describing one's subjective degree of mental assurance that something is true. But one's possession of a contract or a title deed that objectively guarantees a certain outcome. So translating the Greek word elekos as conviction puts the emphasis on the mental state of the faithful. However, it can be translated as evidence or as in the translation I quoted proof which once again points to the objective state of affairs it seems to me that this objective translation fits better the context especially given that Alekos can convey the idea of bringing forth evidence that demonstrates something contrary to what superficially appears to be the case in other words, Hebrews 11.1 1 is best translated perhaps as faith is the guarantee of things hoped for, proof of things not seen. This fits with verses 7 to 12, where the writer mounts an argument to encourage his readers to continue trusting God. Consider the Old Testament heroes of faith who trusted God when he told them to act in the light of promised realities that they could not see. Peoples whose trust 
was proven well-placed by subsequent events. That same God is calling upon you Christians to act in the light of his promise of salvation, even though your present circumstances of persecution, it looks like the opposite of salvation. Shouldn't you conclude on the basis of God's faithfulness that future events will vindicate your present trust in God? That's the argument that's going on in our passage. Christian philosopher Daniel Howard Snyder points out that when it comes to translating Hebrews 11.6, English has no verb form of the noun faith in the way, for example, belief has to believe. But Greek does. A careful translation would preserve this parallelism. We could translate it like this. And without faith, it is impossible to please God forever for whoever would approach him must have faith, must faith that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So translated, there's no temptation to think that the verse lends credence to the view that you, uh, you can't have faith in God unless you believe that God exists. The standard translation according to which whoever would approach or draw near to or seek God must believe that God exists expresses an obvious falsehood. Obviously, someone can approach or draw near to or seek God even if one lacks belief that God exists, just as you could approach or draw near to or seek a a rumoured reclusive monk even though you lack belief that he exists. According to Hebrews, faith as such is an active trusting and or hoping in God. It is a a commitment to action. Hebrews calls upon Christians to emulate the fact that Noah, being warned about things not yet seen, prepared a ship by faith. Abraham went out not knowing where he went. By faith, even Sarah herself received power to conceive as she bore a child when she was past age, since she counted him faithful who had promised. So we might translate Hebrews 11.6 this way. Without trust, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to God. For he who would draw near to God to seek his grace and favour and so on must entrust themselves to the hope that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That said, faith certainly can and normally does marry hope in, this active trust, hope in God, with beliefs about God. And faith should always give appropriate respect to our best evidence and reason. After all, Hebrews 10.34 says its audience knew that they had better and lasting possessions in heaven. Again, Hebrews 11, 7-8 argues for continued trust, faith in God. So, in conclusion, we can express matters this way, I think. As far as the writer of Hebrews is concerned, the bar of having faith in God 
is set comfortingly low. But the bar for best practice in the rational exercise of faith is set aspirationally high. Thus Hebrews 11 is both a comfort and a challenge to our own exercise of faith. Amen.